Successful entrepreneurs seek continuous improvement and are always seeking ways to increase the revenue of their business. Today on the Financial Operating Base, we'll speak with Stephen Kuhn, U.S. Army veteran and founder of Immediate Impact Revenue. Welcome to the Financial Operating Base, a podcast and community to help you, the veteran entrepreneur, to navigate the terrain and accomplish your mission of business success. And joining us today, we have Steve Steve Kuhn from Immediate Impact Revenue. Steve, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, absolute. Hey, so let's just start with kind of your background. Tell us about your journey in the military, after the military, and leading up to what you do now. Sure thing. A funny thing happened is um, I was sitting at the MEP station to sign up for uh, the Navy. And he left me sitting there. And every 10 minutes, the Army recruiter would walk by and be like, what, are you still sitting here? <laughs> And uh, after about an hour, I got so upset, I just went in and signed up for the Army. So that's how I decided to sign up for the Army. <laughs> and I, they shipped me off to Fort Knox, did my boot camp. Then I went to um, uh, Germany, in Gelnhausen, Germany. And that's where I spent some time, you know, Cold War days. It was back in uh, 86, 7, 8, and 9. Then Iraq broke out, went to Desert Storm with the 8th Cavalry, uh, came back to Germany for another year, and then got out. And I did what they call a European out, and I stayed in Germany. Uh, I moved to Berlin. Uh, where I ended up getting married, starting businesses, uh, nightclubs, and bars. And when that ended dramatically, uh, I wrote a book, became a bestseller in Germany, uh, and then I moved on from there into the corporate world with a British PLC, publicly listed company, and climbed the ladder, you know, and um, climbed the ladder, the corporate ladder, and lived the life that, that you're supposed to live according to society, and it didn't turn out so well, so I had to start over again, and I did. And I climbed the ladder again and I lost everything again. That was 2008 though. That was less my fault, <laughs> I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, we had, I had a, with, with my brother, you know, my, my brother had a mortgage charter and we, you know, we got caught up in that whole mess. So that's when, uh, that's when the big crash came. And I, and when I mean big crash, I mean homelessness, suicide attempts, the whole works. And I ended up just dropping everything, um, including telephone and laptop and not telling anybody. And I just, disappeared to a monastery in the, in the mountains of Austria where I lived with monks for about eight months. Interesting. And yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's where I found myself. So that's where I found who I was with my identity, my purpose. And from that point on, I just um, decided to work for myself and help others as much as I can, you know, um, elevate everyone around me to make sure that my life uh, is always one of beaming um, positivity to the outside. And that turned into quite a, a lucrative business because people want to work with you when you're like that. And now, uh, you know, the last um, 20 years I've been consulting uh, as far as turnaround goes. But my consulting is more like a consulting coaching where I go in and I take care of the conscious problems or the, the, the problem that people think they have. And then we look deep and then we start coaching and find the other, the other challenges they have in order to grow the business, scale their business, um, turn, you know, turn the culture into, into a productive, non-conflicting um, culture in companies. So that's pretty much, now I'm living in Hungary, by the way. So. <laughs> Interesting. That's a cool journey. Tell, tell us about, tell us about the book, how that came about. And then um, tell us how you found the monastery. Right. Okay. So the book, it was, well, this is where HIT was born. So HIT is my core principles that I teach. It's called honesty, integrity, transparency. And I was sitting um, uh, after I lost everything, literally in one week, my wife, all my money and my job. 
uh, and I, I didn't know what to do. And there was a box of, uh, there's a shoe box on top of my computer and there were some friends over and they said, what's that box? And I said, well, that's something that I used to do when I had my bars is when it was empty, I would write my notes, my thoughts about the war on these little sheets of paper. And, I, and they, they pulled them down and said, wow, look at this, man. You, you need to write a book. I was like, who's going to write? Who's going to read my book? I was 35, I think, at the time, or 33. And uh, so I put it together, 30 pages, sent it off to some publishers, and they picked it up. And I wrote the book, and it came out the day the war started in 2003. You know, the, the Iraqi freedom, you know, yeah. Operation Iraqi Freedom. And I got called to TV immediately. And I was, sitting on t- I was sitting on the show with 15 million viewers. It was a live show. And they said, Stephen Kuhn, are you for or against this war? And that was the first time I was ever confronted with that, with that, you know, with that uh, question. And I realized in that moment that I have to be honest to who I am in order to be authentic and to be true to the world around me. So I told them I was against the war, but pro-America uh, and, you know, a, a total patriot. And so that was the first time that I was confronted with honesty and transparency. <laughs> You know, how, how do you, how are you honest about saying you don't support the war, but you love your country like nothing else? So that was quite a challenge for me. And then, then that was where the seed was planted. And that book came out and it was a bestseller within two weeks. And I did a year book tour on that. Um, traveled all over Germany and uh, Austria and Switzerland and, and just read out of the book and signed autographs and all that kind of, so it was, it was, it was quite a cool thing. Did a lot of TV, a lot of uh, news shows and things like that, you know, comment, commented on the war. Every time there was a scene in Iraq, they called me up and what do you see, Mr. Kuhn and that kind of stuff. So it was, you know, they, they always called me the Iraq war specialist, which I obviously wasn't, but <laughs> to a German, I guess I was, cause I was the only American war veteran they could find who spoke German. So I guess I was lucky in that, in that case. It seems like you've done so many different things, um, some by choice, some out of necessity, and, but, but your ability to, to pivot and restart um, is actually quite remarkable. Um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs or veterans that are starting businesses get confronted with that. And, and what, what advice do you give to someone? Maybe they hit a wall with the business or you know, something's not working and they need to pivot or start over like you did. What, what, what's that sort of entry advice you'd give them? Well, I, I think the biggest thing that I've noticed over the years is that when I try to work from the outside in, I'm o- it's always difficult. Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. But if you work from the inside out, meaning your, that your attitude, your, uh, your, your mindset, your consciousness, everything that you do on the inside is aligned first. Then when you go towards the outside and start working, it sort of falls into place much easier. And you're ready for anything that comes. And you take it as it comes and you develop it into something greater than what it was when, you, when, you, when it came upon you. So it... it Everything is based on integrity. Every relationship on the planet is based, a healthy relationship on the planet is based on integrity. So if, if you hold yourself in, 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 at a high level of integrity through honesty and transparency, the byproduct is obviously in, um, integrity, that anything that comes your way, you, you always find a way either to say no directly or to make it yours. So that, that is a lot of what you incorporate now with your consulting. Right. Um, so talk about your clientele and how you take that, um, the folks that you work with and applying those type of principles to help them out. Well, honesty and taking transparency, I think I might, might, might explain a little bit of that first. Basically, honesty is being true to who you are and how you live. Transparency is communicating your honesty for anyone to observe. Integrity is a result of your ongoing reputation. So the benefits of living by hit, I guess you could say, would be you have clarity of who you are and exactly what you want to do in life. Then you live an incredibly happy life where everyone seems to help you every step of the way because you're, it's such an even keel. And then you naturally attract others who live by hit, 
making life really easy and enjoyable. And then when you operate under HIT, you get an authentic connection significance, which is one of the six essential human needs, and true happiness. And what it does is it chases scarcity mindset away. And it, it's, it's, it's incredible. So what I do is when I work with my clients, the first, first thing I do is find out what their challenge is. And their challenge is typically, first of all, on the surface, revenue, money, the team is fighting, they can't seem to get a grip on the team or whatever. But under the surface, it's always an internal conflict, always. And I've never had any client in 20 years where there wasn't an internal conflict. So I work with that part of the hit in order to, to clear up that internal conflict. And then we work on the, on the business again once we've, we've cleared up that first problem that they think they have. What does your typical client look like? Oh, man, I've had, you know, I've worked with, uh, I, my last big client was Andrea Bocelli. He's a uh, opera singer. <laughs> um, I, I renegotiated contracts for him. He was having trouble getting into the right, which is strange because he makes 50 million a year. Um, and I'd, I had never worked in the music industry before, except for the bodyguard of Mick Jagger, but I've never, never worked on the business side of the music. And so I went to London and I got appointments at Warner Brothers, you know, um, um, Sony Music Universal, all these guys, and I started speaking to them about contracts, not only for him, but for some musicians under his wing. And I did, I, I amazingly enough, uh, killed it. And uh, that showed me once again that living by hit, it doesn't matter where you go, what you do, how you do it, as long as you do it from a core, core principles, a core basis of, of, of goodness, I guess you could say, as an umbrella word. Um, that you're always going to be successful. So other clients, I have a roofing company in, uh, in Texas. Um, in the first hour we were speaking, we found $120,000 that he wasn't capitalizing upon. That's what I call dormant revenue. And that's where this, the name comes from, immediate impact revenue, is when I look at your company, I look at 35 different ways to grow immediate revenue in your business. Most people do three or four. So I literally go to your company and look what you're not doing, and I say, do that. <laughs> And we start making money, you know, so it's really not that difficult. The difficult part is getting them to believe that they control every aspect, factor, output, input, outcome of their business. Every single aspect of their business is dictated from the inside out from that specific leader. So the, thank you, Stephen. Um, the podcast is, you know, veteran centric and mill spouse centric as far as um, them being entrepreneurs and business owners. So uh, for those that are listening, you know, what are some of the common themes or issues you just see coming up over and over again with veteran and mill spouse entrepreneurs that maybe they can take away from listening to the podcast today and go be introspective about their business and make some changes immediately? Right. For the, first thing, the first thing that I notice the most is that people don't know what they don't know and they don't want to ask for help. Um, I have a simple theory that if I want to do something or go somewhere or be somewhere, I just find somebody who's already there and I ask them, how'd you do it? And most people want to do their, we're lone rangers, right? We all want to do it ourselves. We want to be our own heroes sort of in a way. Uh, that's, that's the number one problem. Another problem I see is that they're, they're trying to do it all alone without uh, partners or without actually, um, you know, trying to get help. So that's probably the basically the same thing, but most people come to say, look, I, I need to make money. How do I do it? What do I, how do I structure? How do I sell my stuff online? So these are all little pieces and bits and pieces. But again, I focus on very simple processes and procedures. I call it PPS, people, procedures, and structures. What people do you need in your business around you, whether it's a mentor, a coach, clients, customers, whatever it is, what procedures do you need in order to feed them what it is that you're actually going to feed them as far as um, a service or a product goes? And then what structures do you need around that in order to make sure it runs effortlessly so that you can work on the business and not in the business? And so if you ask me, the number one problem with veterans is they're working in the business. 
uh, constantly. They're doing everything themselves. They're not delegating. They can't delegate because they don't, they don't, they don't, their scarcity mindset keeps them from hiring people. Now, when it comes to male spouses, I got to tell you, it's hard not to be oppressed. <laughs> I mean, every time I talk to a middle spouse, you're like, hey, man, where did you get this knowledge? You know, there's yeah. some superstars out there. I'm working with uh, one right now. And she just came up with a product, started selling it, and then immediately started bringing in like five, five or six grand a month in the first month with her idea. Her idea is fantastic. The way she marketed it is fantastic. And then, of course, she dried up her pipeline. So now we're working on, on a new pipeline. So I love the mill spouse uh, community because they are, and all of it, and they're massively organized too. I mean, they're just all over the place. It's amazing. And, and there's an, an adaptability there and a flexibility and agility that sort of comes along with, with that lifestyle of being a spouse. You're uprooted, you're moving all the time. So you find a purpose and then you find a way. And, and that's kind of a theme that we see a lot with those type of folks. And it's, it's, it's very interesting because it's something that maybe some people don't think about, or I've never heard anyone talk about it is that, the veterans that I've spoken to who have a male spouse that are working, whether it be a male or female, and are engaged in their own life, so to say, that really takes the pressure off the veteran. I mean, it really takes the pressure off the veteran having to be, oh, I'm away from home or I'm deployed. They know that the spouse is working, is productive, feels you know, significant in life. And that's huge. I mean, that's huge. And, and if, if you ask me, that has something to do that we could actually address when it comes to you know, uh, mental health and, you know, the 22 a day, that kind of thing. I think that has a huge part of it. I, I know that I can only be as good as I can be because my spouse is there for me. I mean, I, and I'm not kidding. That's just, she's not even here. So I'm not saying it because she's here, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but that's, that's a huge, a massive part of my success is my, is my spouse. Well, thinking about the mill spouses, um, I, I think we typically think them as uh, them being in the United States at various military posts, and and it's always that move between duty stations. So they're at Fort Campbell, and they go to Fort Hood, or vice versa. Um, you're in Europe. Um, what do you see mill spouses doing in Europe that are living there um, because their their soldier or sailor or airman is is living at a, a military base overseas? Um, are there the same type of opportunities you see in the U.S., or is it a little bit different? I, I see a lot of them working for the government. So they'll, they'll go and work at the child care or the kindergarten or the AFES or all these different kind of places. And, and it'll be a temporary job. I think a lot of people get stationed over here. They know they're not going to stay here. So they don't want to build anybody, anything up in the local economy. You know, what, what I always suggest is do an online business, you know, make, make it online. Like my, my business is fully online now. I do speak, uh, you know, occasionally around the, around the globe, but my whole business is online. And there's actually um, uh, accredited, DOD accredited online marketing programs where you get a certificate and learn how to start making money immediately as a male spouse so you can work anywhere in the world. So it just depends what they want to do. But over here, yeah, mostly it's they're thinking like, oh, it's only temporary. Let me work for AFES or let me, you know, just get a job on the side. And then just an aside to that, what advice would you give a male spouse? Maybe she is in the United States, he or she is in the United States. They have a, a localized business going that they think they can move duty stations with, but then they go to Europe. What would, should they close the business down? Should they have a friend run it? What, what advice would you give them? You mean a brick and mortar then probably, right? A brick and mortar or something local. I mean, you know, we've talked to spouses that do food delivery and right, okay, yeah. meal, yeah. meal kits, things like that. Something that's um, localized, but could move duty stations with them in the United States. Well, I have, actually have a client who's a Marine who has a local business in Florida and he was supposed to go to Japan. Um, and his wife decided to stay back, the male spouse to stay back and run the business by herself. They did it together. So they're actually, they decided, okay, he's only got four more years and he'll retire. So let me stay home and run the business. 
Um, and also that has to do with the children. Where are the children? Do you want them to have the experience overseas or you want them, want them to stay with the friends in America? So that's always a big way in chart. But when it, it's hard to say, you know, um, pauschal or blanket, a blanket statement about that. But anything you can automate, automate it. And then you can probably find someone, family or friend or someone who's, who's responsible enough. Um, you can then actually um, probably... You know, I can't say what kind of business it is, but generally, you, if you can automate at least six, 60 to 80% of it, then yeah, you can go overseas and leave it open. Cool. Um, so what other advice would you give someone that's a veteran, maybe they're active duty or they're an active duty mill spouse, and they're kind of thinking about an idea or, or you know, they realize that they have that itch to start something um, and maybe they have the idea, maybe they're brainstorming ideas, or maybe they're ready to launch and, and just kind of on that, that cusp. What advice would you give that type of person? Uh, this is my one advice that I give everyone, and this is so key that most people forget. And, and, and then if they do remember it, they take it on the light shoulder and they don't really take it seriously. And that is, what problem in the market does your company exist to solve? So what problem is your company solving. If you're not solving a problem, it's going to be really hard to find a niche. So if you have to find your, sorry, niche, <laughs> you say niche. So if you find your niche, find the one problem that they have and you will fly. Now a problem doesn't have to be something negative to positive or positive to negative. A problem could be, for instance, the one client I have, she's a mill spouse. Uh, she made um, car magnets and emblems for mill spouses, they just didn't exist before. That was a great business idea and it exploded. Um, so, you know, for me as a consultant, I'm always looking for that, okay, what's the one solution that's gonna make this person calm down and actually listen to what I'm actually talking about and not just worry about money, not just worry about revenue, and not just worry about what's in their head, but actually find out what kind of a foundation can we build around this business so we can move forward and, and move forward in a way that we're not gonna tip over later. So if your problem if your product solves the problem, you're on the right path. If it doesn't and you're just thinking of something you want to do, then it's going to be really difficult to market that because, you know, who are you going to market to? General? People say, oh, if I throw the net out, I'll catch everybody. Well, um, that's not necessarily the case. If, if, if I know I can speak to, you know, a certain demographic and I know exactly what their problem is, I'm going to kill it because I'll be that guy, that guy that solves that problem for that demographic. It's just, it's just simple as that. So, Find a problem to solve and solve it. I would say if you're, not, if you're right now and you're saying to yourself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out and I want to start a business, but I'm not sure what to do. Start looking around for the biggest problems in business. What's the biggest problem in business? What's the business, biggest problem in golf? What's the biggest problem? Those things that you like to do that you're passionate about, find out what the biggest problems are and find a way to solve it and you will be successful, period. I think you bring up a, a good point about thinking large and trying to solve large problems. Um, you know, Jeff and I in our day-to-day -day business, you know, we have uh, some military and veteran clients, but but mainly we're we're serving um, you know a wide audience. And I think a lot of you know veterans maybe get into this. I only want to serve the veteran community with a product or a service, um, and it gets very narrow. What what yeah. advice would you give to them if they they came to you with that? Well, there's a thing about you know we we're very proud of what we've done, obviously. And we get stuck in that identity. And this is where we get back to what I was talking about before is that knowing who you are. Um, so the identity that we have as veterans, we sort of want that as our safety net. So when I can talk to other veterans, I don't have to build rapport. Oh, you're a Marine, I'm an Army, yeah, hoorah, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't have to build rapport. I can skip a whole part of my personal development just because I'm a veteran, right? But then I, I limit my, my possibilities, I limit my revenue, I limit my chances. And then again, 
you know, let's look at nonprofits. There's 50,000 veteran nonprofits in America, 50,000, maybe a thousand are doing well because everybody's vying for the same client. If you want to look at one who some people like and some people don't, that's the Wounded Warrior Project. The reason they're so successful is because they went after not veterans, but those who support veterans. And that's basically, hopefully, at least 50% of America and Gold Star Mothers they started working with. And, you know, then they got, they, then they, and, and what they do is they use that as a badge for non-veteran organizations to say, look at me. So it's, they actually sell it as a marketing tool. You give us donations, we're going to give you a marketing tool to say that you support veterans. Now, some people may not agree with that, but they are killing it because of that. That, I love that because as veterans, like you said, we embrace that identity, um, and that's important, right? We should embrace that identity, but it becomes yeah. a difference between a niche that we focus on and a limitation um, to what we can do. So that's an important distinction. Yeah, and look, I mean, I get it too. You know, some, some, I, I know some guys, you know, or some gals, and, and it, it's hard to find purpose after the military, let's face it. You know, I mean, what, what's bigger than writing, writing a blank check? Well, there's, there's, there's not much you can do in life after that that's actually going to be that meaningful or that selfless, I guess you could say. So looking for that in the civilian world is really difficult. And the only way to do that is to find your identity and your purpose and, and, and drive your certainty through that purpose from your identity. And when you can do that, the world opens up to you like it's just – look, I'm sitting in Hungary, right, in a village outside of Budapest, 2,000 people. And last year I was, I don't know, put online as, a, as this number two military influencer in America. I was like, what? How can I do that from here? Why is it? Why? Because I know who I am and I know what I'm doing. I went into the vet, vet, Vetpreneur tribe. I started consulting uh, um, uh, veterans. I did 250 veterans. I spoke at a bunch of veteran events last year at the MIC, um, um, you know, Clever Talks and a bunch of other things. And I, I do that because I have a purpose and I'm going after that purpose. I'm not fanning it out, right? I'm going, I'm doing this and that's what I'm doing. And it doesn't have to be just veterans, of course. It's male spouses, veterans, civilians. You know, I was on a podcast, John Lee Dumas, who's actually a veteran, but he never talks about it. And just on that podcast, I got, I got 40 grand worth of contracts, you know, and they were with civilians. They didn't identify with the veteran in me, but they identified with the attitude and the mission driven sort of, uh, um, sort of language that I use that came from the military. You see the difference? See the difference? Yeah, yeah gotcha. Yeah, the, the, the focus and the energy that you bring, um, like to the podcast today, which is I'm sure what you bring into your engagements and your relationships um, professionally, I mean, it's impressive. And, um, you know, you, you sort of live by, uh, you know, your standards and, and your code. Um, so we ask all the guests this, um, is there a quote or a saying that sort of inspires you that you anchor uh, a little bit of your life to that you can share with the audience? Yeah, you know, obviously, honesty, integrity, transparency is something that I hone every single day. But the one biggest thing that made the biggest change in my life was when I realized way back when that you can always delegate the task, but never the responsibility. And this is where a lot of people mess it up. <laughs> Matter of fact, I was at a uh, about in 2012, I was in Swiss, Zurich, Switzerland, having an interview with Apple of all companies. And there was a, it was for a position to run three countries, the German speaking countries. And it was huge. It was massive. It was the director of, you know, the, you, you go through like 15 interviews with these guys. And it was the last interview. And I had the director of Europe, the HR director, like 12 people were sitting there. And they asked, they looked at my resume and they said, how can you be doing 12 projects at one time or whatever it was, you know, 10 projects at one time? How can you do that? It's impossible. And yet you want to work for us. 
And I said, yeah, I delegate the tasks, never responsibility. I just I manage the processes. That's all I do. And he said, write that down. <laughs> so it was hanging in the offices of Apple in Switzerland after that. And I was flabbergasted that that's one of the most, most powerful statements that I've ever heard, but that so few people actually think of it because it's so simple. Obviously, you, you shouldn't uh, do everything yourself. Everyone knows that, but it's hard to let go. And then when you do let go, sometimes you let go of everything and then you get on them for not doing it right because you didn't manage the process. So yeah, that's, that's probably the most powerful one for me. Great stuff. Um, thanks for your time today and your insight and your, and, um, you know, your sharing. Um, how can listeners get a hold of you? Great. Um, my website is Stephen with a V dash K U H N.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me there. Look at my speaker reel, see what I do. It's not really that informative, the website <laughs> and it doesn't pitch any products really. Uh, it's just me, you know, I'm, I'm not really good at that stuff. I, I work almost exclusively by referrals and that's been for the last 20 years. I didn't have a website until I, until I went online. So, and, and, you know, I worked all over Dubai, you know, Middle East, Far East, Europe, America, that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's probably the best place to find me at Facebook. I'm at Stephen Kuhn official um, Instagram. They closed my account because they said it was fake. Um, and, uh, I'm on Twitter, but I, I don't understand. I don't understand Twitter anyway. I got like 23,000 followers on Twitter. I have no idea why when I tweet something, nothing, nothing happens. So <laughs> just get me on my website. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again for your time. Uh, it's been great. And we look forward to seeing you at the military influencer conference coming up here soon. Me too. I mean, me too, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Stephen Kuhn, and we will leave you with this quote from Andy Rooney. Everyone wants to live on top of the mountain, but all the happiness and growth occurs while you're climbing it. Thanks for joining us on the Financial Operating Base podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so send us your questions or feedback to financialoperatingbase at gmail.com.